And welcome to the Paint and Pride Quarterly Slush Pile. We are so glad that you have decided to, um, I don't know, subscribe, turn this on, push a button, click some stuff. I don't know. Um, but you're here and we're here and we're, um, we are the editors of Paint and Pride Quarterly. And we are going to read some poems and discuss some work. And we're so happy to do this in front of you, as it were. Um, so I'm Kathleen Volkmiller. And I'm still on my Collingswood third floor in New Jersey to be in the lab soon, hopefully. Um, but hi. And I'm going to let Marion Wren say hello. Hello, it's Marion Wren here in North Carolina for the foreseeable tiny future um, that we're in. And I'm going to bounce it to Alex. Hey, it's me, Alex. Uh, I'm, I'm on Long Island, haven't left. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> gone to the city once or twice now that things are opening up, but I'm going to actually pass it over to somebody who's kind of new uh, if they want to speak. Uh, I'm going to pass it over to Gabby. Yeah, uh, thank you. Hi, I'm Gabby. I'm still in Philadelphia um, and happy to be here. Um, I'll pass it to Jason. Hi, it's Jason. I am happily in Brooklyn. Um, and I think that's all of us. Wow, yeah, except for our intrepid sound engineers. <laughs> we do love our intrepid sound engineers. Hello, Larissa and Kate. Morning, I'm from Philadelphia, representing Philadelphia. Oh, <laughs> nice shirt, nice shirt. The, oh, I want that t-shirt. I love that t-shirt. I'll send you a link. Great okay. font. <laughs> Thank you. Wait, can you show it again? Can I see it again, Larissa? Yep. I know slushies, this is the wrong This is a podcast. I know. <laughs> it's awesome. Thank you. The Liberty Thank Bell you. over the eye. And uh, lastly, Kate with her um, updated pink hair. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Hi, I'm still in Philadelphia too. <laughs> <laughs> but your hair's fresh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, okay, let's get to it. What we're going to do is read three poems by Rasha Abdulwasan. And um, yeah, and then we'll discuss them and we'll vote together and it's going to be a great time. So let's get going. Who would like to read Diving for Pearls? I'll jump in just to clear out the vocal uh, cords today. Okay. <laughs> Diving for Pearls. My body is a sack of bones, feet bound, heavy with stone. I plunge and sand shatters without a sound, tongue tied. The sea is breathless, rope and leather and lead. I grasp what I can see, rough shells, round shells, hollow shells. I mouth your name and something stirs. I pry myself open to find it. Well read, Alex. I really appreciate the sort of um, almost breathy quality, the sort of whispering quality, right? Um, the way the poem makes you want to sort of lean into the microphone and croon <laughs> a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, I just like, it's already, I like it because it was so easy to read. Like that's its own skill to have it be written that way. Carries you through. The, the sound, particularly like the alliterations and the repeated sounds, like the, my body is a sack of bones, feet bound heavy with stone. Like it just really kind of keeps drawing you forward. Like almost all of the sounds are repeated. And so you have this incredible sonic density um, throughout the poem. It's really satisfying. 
And I, it's like a little, it's like a dollop too, like the way, I mean, it's called diving for pearls and then it sort of suggests the act of, of being a pearl diver. And then it delivers what it promises. Like the eye becomes the pearl pried open, right? And that's, it's just a lovely little, little like turn of the image, right? Like the gesture is there. And like the way that the long eye is carrying across that final line, I pry myself open to find it. And that alternation of the, the long and the short syllables is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And then the it going back to this nameless thing that's rising, right? It's just really sort of, it's, yeah. it's an elegant move, a little tightening. I, I hope this isn't projecting too much or putting too much on this, but for me, it's also kind of a string of pearls. Mm. Like all of these, I just keep going, bum, 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 you know? Um, and it feels like that too, with these pearls. And it, what do you guys think about the break, the line break on Tongue Tide? I trusted it. Um, I mean, I think sort of like the classic, you know, weird line break is Elizabeth Bishop like moves the S, there's an apostrophe S and she moves the S to the next line to like preserve the rhyme of the word prior to the S. Um, but in this one, it, it makes, it keeps a kind of um, continuity to the line. There's a kind of regularity to the line that it's retaining, um, but I trust it. Yeah. But it actually, if I'm not mistaken, it actually delivers on its point, right? It's, I plunge and sand shatters without a sound tongue. Like it's like that, that single line without a sound tongue hyphen line break tied, right? So tongue tied meaning like you can't speak, but without yeah. a sound comma tongue, it's almost as if tongue is another way of saying sound. Like it's almost like without a tongue and then you get tongue tied. So it's like this trip like du like doubling down on a definition but not in a way that's like I, I couldn't figure out how to say it so I have to say it three times which is something I do all the time <laughs> well and, and also tongue-tied you know if if you see it in prose you just kind of slip past it tongue-tied right. um, whereas if it's at the end of the line tongue gets extra emphasis and then tied at the beginning of the next line gets extra emphasis so it takes it from kind of being tongue-tied to being tongue-tied <laughs> Like it yeah. really reasserts a kind of um, prosodic emphasis to each of these two syllables. Yeah. I love the moment and the surprise of I mouth your name. You know, because we don't really know what it's about per se. And, and, and then we get that moment there in the you know, third to the last line. So it, it comes it, about something else. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I want to just jump in and say this too, right? So um, we, uh, in the UAE, pearl diving is a, a cultural practice. It, it's historically, you know, part of Bedouin culture or you're a seafaring culture. And if you're seafaring, you're, you're pearl diving, right? It was how folks were making money, right? So when I see a poem called Diving for Pearls, right? At first as an editor, I'm like, a, a, I, I push against it a little bit because it almost borders on cliche. And then, that, then I have to recognize or remember, right? Oh, it's actually like a, a cultural economy, right? Like pearl diving is a thing, right? And and when I think about that, like the actual act of pearl diving, I love this poem even more, right? Because it's, 
it's got this sort of like imagistic spiraling down into that image of something's rising and I'm prying it open. Do you like the white space before I pry myself open to find it? I do. I like that pause. It's weird. And weird is good. We get the M dash right before it. <clears throat> Slushies, go to pvqmag.org so you can also look. I was really fascinated by um, and sand shatters. I plunge and sand shatters. Like I was like, I kept, I kept being like, shouldn't that be the water shatters? Like, like doesn't, like one doesn't dive through sand. But then I was, I was also wondering like, is there something about what happens to the sand that I don't know? Um, that I kind of trust, I've never been barrel diving. Um, and so I kind of trusted the way in which this was talking about the actual physicality mm -hmm. of the diving for pearls. Yeah. It does have that surreal quality, right? So it's both like sort of gesturing towards the act of it and also this like dreamscape quality. And and the 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 final line kind of brings us back into the metaphoricity of it, right? That like it's if it's myself being pried open and I'm turning into the clam in which the pearl is being found, or those oysters. <laughs> I should know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I didn't look it up beforehand. Um <laughs> but yeah, that that it clearly kind of loops back into itself. And and if you think about you know something like Adrian Rich's you know very famous metaphor of diving into the wreck, mm -hmm. right? That like when we're diving into something, we're diving into ourselves. Mm -hmm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we do have several more by this poet. If we want to vote and move on, are we at that place? I think so. I just want to say one other thing though, which is sure. like. As, and this goes with to, to Alex's point too, like this, the, the polish, pardon the pearl pun, the polish <laughs> of the simplicity here, right? That, you know, sometimes when we sit down to read a batch of poems, we might read over, right? Or read quickly, read swiftly, right? And, but there's something about the way the simplicity of this one is commanding, right? And I, I kind of mean that in both directions too. It's like the poet's command and the, the way the poem commands attention, commands concentration and quietness in the in the way the images flow. So I just want to say that. Thank you for saying that. Shall okay, we let's vote. Shall, shall we, we throw the thumbs? thumbs? Shall we flip thumbs? Okay. One, two, three, vote. And it's unanimous. It was dramatic but not suspenseful. Yeah. Well said, my friend, well said. <laughs> I appreciate the distinctions. Um, all right. We have Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. And I'm going to ask if I can read it. Can I read it? Read it. Thank you. So slushies, you need to know that this is written like a prose block, but there are white spaces within sentences. So you just have to go to the website and look at this one pbqmag.org. Okay. Tidying up with Marie Kondo. Marie, I drove to the landfill yesterday to find my wedding dress, the one I couldn't bear to give to anyone else. I know I shouldn't have, but I followed the truck down the beach road and into the desert, tried to plead at the gates, you know, the way they do in the movies. But security was so tight, Marie, so I watched from the car 
and it looked like a mound of bodies, lace wrapped around denim, around plastic, around mulch. And there were so many toys, Marie, dolls without stuffing, bikes without wheels, so many fridges torn at the hinge. And the truck I followed could have been any truck and my dress, any dress. So I left, drove deeper into the desert until all I could see were seagulls dipping in and out of the heap with nothing on their backs but feathers. And they looked so happy, Marie, they really did. All right. All right. Mm. Like Alex said about the other one, even though this is so different in so very many ways, it's easy to read, lovely to read. I love, I don't know why I am so in love with the repetition of Marie, the director dress to Marie Kondo and then the repetition through it. I love it. It makes it prayerful also. I don't know if that's old Catholicism coming out. But something about the repetition of Marie is almost chant or prayer like. And like, I like how it's summoning, summoning Marie Kondo, but not like in, in such an artificial way, because it's her, the story of her dress joins the story of all these other objects. But like, there is some sort of peace the speaker gets from kind of like abandoning that and just looking at the birds who have nothing with them and they're happier. It's kind of a, the, co the cone of what Marie Kondo does in a way. Like it, it's not, a, except in this case, it's not a matter of like, this no longer brings you joy. It's, well, you lost it, <laughs> kind of have to deal with it, but <laughs> so. But Alex, I think that's that's sort of the elegance of the poem. And and first, and I'll, I'll confess, when I first read it, I was like, oh, meaning, I don't know that I'm, I'm game for like, you know, pop culture poems, even though I love pop culture, right? Like I'm a Gemini in this regard. Like I love it, I hate it. It's sort of pe that pendulum swings both ways. Um, and so when I say Marie Kondo, I'm thinking like, okay, this is meaningful for the 20 seconds. Marie Kondo is meaningful, right? And Marie Kondo is really meaningful right now. So what's the title of the book? The Life-Changing what? Magic tidying of Tidying Up. up. What is it? The life, the life Changing Magic of Tidying Up. The life-changing magic of tidying up and the and the her series and the book it's about if you touch the object does it give you joy right and if it does if it sparks joy you keep it if it doesn't you get rid of it that's the philosophy yeah yeah okay then what i love is the seagulls are happy at the end right like this sort of like beautiful sort of explosion of garbage in the poem right like all the stuff that comes to the dump right and then they look so happy marie they really did like the reassurance to Marie, right? That the seagulls are happy is just like a, another genius twist to the like the description and critique of of jettisoning your stuff and then feeling a little bit like you want it back. Well, but also like that when you jettison your stuff, like your apartment might be cleaner, but the world's a whole lot dirtier. Exactly. And so the way in which like the dump Yep. keeps reasserting itself and so kind of like showing this other side of the fantasy of minimalism that it's it's not gone right it's right. it's somewhere rotting it's somewhere taking up space and destroying and poisoning 
everything around us, I thought was like a really kind of, I, I, that was the aspect of the poem that I really enjoyed. And particularly the, the wedding dress right. has now joined this kind of poisonous, detritus. Um, oh, Gabby, do you wanna jump in for me? I was actually gonna say like very much of the same stuff. Like I couldn't really tell if it was like, obviously because this person, like Kathy said, is pleading with Marie Kondo and sort of like this very like asking for penance for like driving after the thing that they threw away. Yeah. And I couldn't tell if they were like in favor of like this sort of minimalism that Marie Kondo asks for of people or like the maximalism, which I mean, could lead to hoarding, but that's a whole other thing. Right. But um, yeah, I, I'm i not a fan of Marie Kondo. I think that I, I, I'm, I'm a very much of a person who will keep like anything that anyone gives me and I'll be like, this sparks joy, this sparks joy. <laughs> and like, I kept like a, 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 a orange from somebody that they gave me. And then I like um, put it in the oven and like sliced it up. And like, now I have it hanging in my room. Uh, that sparks joy for me. Uh, but I think that there's something of like, of why, why throw away a wedding dress and then if Marie like Kondo asks you to and then because that's obviously something that would spark joy and then after the fact you realize that shit this sparks joy for me I don't know there's something I really like this poem it's just there's something about that you, you know it's so interesting that you said all of that Gabby because what I was going to say is that when I if you take Marie Kondo out and you sub in Gabby, I drove to the landfill yesterday to find my wedding dress, the one I couldn't bear to give to anyone else. If you take Marie Kondo all the way out, I argue that this poem absolutely still works. Mm. The meaning the meaning, and the what she's going through, what that speaker is going through is absolutely still present. It's not about Marie Kondo, fuck all. I love that KVM because then when you add Marie Kondo back in, it gets deeper and even more lovely. So now time capsule to the future. This goes back to my beef against pop culture poems, right? <laughs> time capsule to the future. This is going to like delight somebody doing some research going, who the hell's Marie Kondo? And then you look it up and then the poem's going to like do that chrysanthemum thing, right? Like a dahlia. <laughs> like, they often have to look things up. We often look yeah. things up. And what I'm saying though is if Marie Kondo is not it's not about Marie Kondo. I think it's, even when I said the word prayer and that repetition of Marie, I don't think this poet would have used her if that name didn't work so well. Yeah. But, you know, but it's a letter or a plea or to anyone that she, you know, like I'm saying, sub in another name and I guarantee you it works. Yeah. It, I, I, it hadn't occurred to me to do that. And now that you say to do it and I put in like Kathy, I right. drove to the landfill yesterday. It's still gorgeous. It is. That's that's amazing. But it feels like there's like some kind of, I don't know, like principle in that too. Like if you're going to invoke a pop culture reference, invoke something that's super timely. Right. Like, does the poem work in both ways? And I, I love that it just as a little practice. It's like strip out the reference and does the poem still work? Right. Then that's a that's a way of of, of sensing its resonance and reverberation and depth. Yeah. You know, um, this makes me feel incredibly old, but I teach a poem of Teresa Leo's that we published. And she refers to Alanis Morissette. There's uh, Elaine from Seinfeld. And every year that I teach this, more and more students don't know 
who those people are right and they but they're not bugged like they're not so irritated by those references that they need to like look or look them up or whatever it doesn't bother them they do they just get it and keep going with the poem so um but i actually use that poem to point out pop culture references and what they you know but I, I feel like there was a huge shift um in kind of how poems worked based on the sort of accessibility of google that i i know like editing in like 2002 2003 there was kind of an idea of like can we expect people to know what this is mm -hmm. because everything wasn't instantly yeah. available and by like 2009 2010 it was like yeah if it's a foreign word that's not an english word you can look it up um yeah. if this it, you know it used to be you know if you were going to have like a quote from milton or a quote from you know someone um there's kind of this question of is this sufficiently and now i guess it's a bad word canonical that we can expect a reader to know this like when shahid um, Aga Shahid Ali quoted um, the Cummings line, no one has much, such small hands, not even the rain. Like he could just expect you to know that if you yeah. were, you know, like in poetry, but now everyone has access to everything. Um, so, you know, like if you don't know who Marie Kondo is, like you're, you're seven Google seconds away from finding out. Yeah, if, <laughs> if that, yeah. right? And, and I think that we can also say what we do in meetings Sometimes in a meeting, I'm always the, the big bear, I guess. But, um, you know, when people start looking stuff up, but we've already decided we're really not that into the poem, I'm always the one that kind of goes, wait a minute, why are we spending more time looking this up when we've already kind of decided no, right? So when I, when I would be, you know, training, and I put air quotes on training, when I would be talking to people about how to read for PBQ, I would say, do you want to look it up? Do you need to look it up? Do you want to spend this much time on this piece, right? So that question, I think, if we're talking about all of this with pop culture is relevant. Like if you don't give a shit who Marie Kondo is because the poem sucks, then you're done, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, that's what it is or Alanis Morissette or anybody, right? Oh. And, and but if you are compelled by everything around it, then you right. want to know, you know, the context. Yeah, the context makes you curious, right? Like, right. and it got, and then, and then bonus points if your curiosity is rewarded, right, by seven seconds of, of Google heaven, then you're good, right? And beyond good, the poem expands for you, right? Gabby, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, were you, you going to say something? Sorry, I just don't know how to jump in sometimes. Um, I mean, I was, I was just gonna say, I think like regardless of context, I mean, it's fine. Like this poem specifically is fine without context because you can just create your own. Like you said, like you can replace Marie with anything. And I know there's been plenty of poems that I've read through where it might have like a specific name. And I, I, I like you said with your students, I don't feel any like particular need to like look this person up because in my mind, it could just be someone from the poet's own life that they're talking about. And it's like with Mar like talking about this one, like with Marie, Marie could be like the person that they were married to or like someone who told them to throw it out, but not specifically like this life coach or like, yeah. so, like just someone in your life. And I think that it can expand on its own without having to do a Google search. Yeah. All right, then. Are we flipping thumbs? Are we? Are we?
I am. Okay. <laughs> if you're voting, I'll vote too. <laughs> okay, good. That's when it works. Alex has his whole hand up. No, Alex, <laughs> you can't whole hand vote. Oh, he's That's hiding up. He was voting hiding. Work. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> One, two, three, vote. Woohoo! And it's unanimous <laughs> again. <sighs> oh, I'm so happy. I love this. I love this job. <laughs> it's a really um, good job. All right, all right, all right. Oral history. Who's doing it? Jason, it looks like you. I feel like. Okay. All right. Here I come. Oral history. And if I could, I would conjure a display of tongues, each on a pedestal, plump and outstretched. And they would speak of the winter you told me about, the year when the sand was feathered with snow, your goat haired homes too stiff to fold. And I would seek the gust that swept up your cloak, numbed your toes, emptied your cup, seek the air that filled your lungs, warm enough to tell us more. Beautiful reading. Thanks. And this is the sound of us thinking and rereading. And imagining a display of tongues. And, and desert it, it, snow. <laughs> yeah, snow in the desert. Very beautiful. I love the tongues on the pedestals. I can so easily picture a gallery room, you know, with many of them and you could walk amongst them. And then. I, I love the paired homes too stiff to fold. And again, like like that density of stress your goat haired homes too stiff to fold. Like, oof, mm -hmm. getting, getting, getting those three stresses in a row, goat haired homes um, is always, always impresses me. Mm -hmm. I like that density of stress. Jason, I agree with you, but go back up to the top of that stanza, <laughs> right? With, and they would speak of the winter you told me about the year when the sand Right. So what do you mm -hmm. make of the first the, the lineation of the first two lines of that stanza? Oh, the way in which it's it's breaking at the preposition. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, usually that's a very weak break. I mean, usually I would I would warn people against ever breaking between the preposition and its object. Um, mm -hmm. because if you're placing emphasis on the um the preposition that's usually a weak form of emphasis and english because we don't have that many other like features you know we do everything through um prepositions and like people who are not native speakers of english are always fascinated by the fact you know that we we just use them all the time you know i'm i'm up for it i'm down for it means the same thing but i'm down also means that i'm sad but you know like like i'm over it i'm I'm, you know, um, so in a weird way, I think in this particular piece, I liked calling attention to the preposition and giving it that extra stress because it really kind of chopped things up, that there was a way in which this is working against the syntax in the same way that um, in the earlier poem, like when I think we talked about tongue-tied, right? That like tongue-tied would be sort of very smooth and kind of quick, it would just be a quick spondy in, um, you know, prose, but uh -huh. 
in the poem by breaking the line there, you have this really powerful emphasis that kind of restores the centrality to both of these two words that tongue and tide need mm -hmm. to be kind of paid attention to. So I felt like this was maybe not so much calling attention to the preposition, but the way that it was cutting against syntax, the way that it was slowing you down in a place that you wouldn't otherwise be slowed, that it was yeah. chopping against the expected breaks, which is usually um, not good. Usually that um, sort of dissolves a yeah. lot of the meaning making and sort of kind of um, just leaves things in pieces. And I think here, because the lines are so short, because we have this really mellifluous and they would speak of the winter you told me about the year when the sand was feathered with snow they have this really lilting yeah. um rhythm that then kind of lands so hard on your goat haired homes too stiff to fold um it it felt right to me like it felt like it was it was calling attention to the construction of the sentences in a way that i would ordinarily not be um down yeah. for but in this particular case i was in uh, listen thank you for for dwelling on that with me because i when, when we were talking about tongue tied you use the word trust you trust it right and i think for me uh, to be debbie downer here i don't actually trust of here right um and 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 i say that because i totally love the opening line and if i could i mean that that's like once upon a time like the caliber of that start is, I want to rip it off and, and give it as a writing prompt, right? And if I could, well, what would you do, right? I would conjure a display of tongues, each on a pedestal, plump and outstretched, gorgeous. And they would speak. I would break the line on speak. And then the next line would be of the winter you told me about and just give the prepositions to both ends of that line. But that's, again, this is like an idiosyncratic preference because I didn't trust the of and I trusted everything else in the, in the poem, right? Um, yeah, so it's it, so dear, dear slushies think thinking about lineation in that way, why do you end where you end and what impact does it have on the readers breath work right. Jason you were going to say something else. No, I, I was I was you know if we're sort of in a workshop instead of an editorial meeting yeah. and you suggested breaking it into and they would speak of the winter you told me about the year. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, th I think you're right that in a workshop, you would probably kind of move towards that. But then, you know, that's the danger of the workshop, right? That it smooths right. out your rough edges and that it's your rough edges that you end up getting love for. Right. Well said. Yep. And I guess we should mention, since we do this also for transparency of the editorial process of our end of things, um, sometimes we will ask an author for an edit, but that's very, very rare. Mm -hmm. We want you to knock our socks off and for us to not ask for anything and I think we're saying I don't know but I think we're saying we love this despite that potential edit yeah I think that's the, the punchline too is this question of trust right in it in a workshop discussion that's that would be you know questioning the author why you're breaking where you're breaking in the editorial meeting it's like it's broken there do we trust it right like that's intent. That's is that intentional or accidental? And if it's, if an as an editor it feels accidental, then you're like, I don't know if I love the poem. But if it feels intentional, yeah. right? If there's a rationale for it, that's that's discernible in the craft of the poem elsewhere, which is basically what Jason did in his reading, right? Like it's it, he's contextualizing it in the poem. Then the rough edge is magical. For me, like 
I I like this poem, but like the for, it, the problem of reading like a lot of a uh, person's poems in a row, you kind of start to see, like like this is not at for me it's not as strong as the first two so like some of the i guess cracks are like starting to show and i love they start competing like, with themselves yeah and then like marion said like i love the first the first stanza but the imagery kind of changes where it's like a very not abstract but like absurd image of like tongues on a pedestal and it kind of goes to a more like odd situation but still within the realm of reality and that kind of like does things to like my I wouldn't say enjoyment of the poem but it kind of goes it starts off really high and kind of stays slightly lower but still like underneath the high of the poem that's kind of just because it, it's a very lovely poem but that that I kind of want the the last stanza to kind of be the pop of the poem, not the, the beginning. Yeah, it didn't, I, I think I'm having the same problem of uh, putting each one into competition with each other, but uh, the language is lovely, but I don't, even like reading in my mind, I don't hear the same like tone. Like the last one, there was such a, a the, that, that pleading that was so present and really striking. And then the other one before, like the breathlessness and this one, I'm just not feeling like the same way. And maybe it's just me doing that. And it's definitely nothing against the way that Jason read it. That's not what I'm saying. But, <laughs> um, but I, I want, I want to love it. And I want to love that, that this, this idea of evidence in like oral tradition and, and what it's trying to say, but it's just, it's, it's failing on the part of being a spoken story for mm. me. Mm -hmm. Well. Shall we, do we have more to say or are we ready to, to thumb it? I, I, think, I think it's time. I think it's time. I, I feel like the, these conversations have, have kind of like reached, usually, you know, we'll, we'll go off on a tangent or we're talking about something for an hour. These are like really keeping us really focused. We're staying really like yeah. <laughs> tightly yeah. attentive to the poem, kind of like reaching a, reaching a stopping point. That's like really unusual for us. It is unusual. Well done. I think, I think that has to do with what I was trying to say before about this command, right? Like this, the poems are commanding, right? Yeah. And, and it, there's, there's something about the image work she's doing that really just makes us pay attention. So well, well done. <laughs> All right, let's do it. One, two, three, boom. And this one is not going in. Oh, sadly. sadly. Two for three is really good. It is, well, yeah, yeah, that's true. Rasha's rocking it. Um, I'm wondering if we have time to do the fourth. You think yes? Intrepid sound engineers, do we think yes? Can we go on? I got time. All right. All right. Marion, we haven't heard you. Oh, yay. All right. So um, in, in full disclosure, 
here in North Carolina, I might be descended upon by a, a grounds crew any moment, which sounds way fancier than the dude on the giant power motor who comes over. So if it gets really loud, I apologize in advance for the sound of lawnmowers. Um, as I read Rasha Alduasen's can, can we call the episode that? Can we call the episode I apologize in advance for the sound of lawnmowers? Okay, that's it. That's the title. <laughs> Perfect. So this is Agarwood. I dab oud on my wrists, my neck, the gap between my breasts, the way the agar pours sap into its wounds, the tender scent filling the room. In Cambodia, they strip down trees to find it, the infected bark, the salve. My throat is dry from shouting. This time, about you smoking inside the house, the stove I left on all night, the text we cannot translate. I want you to kiss me, but all I can do is tell you I would be better off without you. Tell me, how long does a bruised tongue take to heal? How sweet does it taste? Thank you, Marianne. Oh my God, that was so much fun to read. <laughs> Thank you, Rasha. <laughs> They're all delicious in the mouth, for sure. Oh, God. <laughs> this is heartbreaking. I want you to kiss me, but all I can do is tell you I'd be better off without you. Oh, gut punch. Woof. And like, like that first one, I love where that comes. You know, I have no idea what's we're, what we're going to do. And then we get such a poignant moment there in those lines. I don't love ending with questions. I don't love questions ever, really. Questions in a poem bother me. Um, yeah. But I'm not saying, I'm just like what we said about that other, I'm not saying that's, yeah. that's a deal breaker, but I, I love the lines that Jason may read. And where they come the, the motion is very interesting um because like the first four the first three stanzas um you know are all about oud and about this perfume and then the last four stanzas are about the relationship and again like it's it's a really interesting transition because i didn't even like the first times i read this i, I it, it was so smooth that it didn't even occur to me until like, oh wait, these like they seem really disconnected. Um, and I was, I was wondering how other people kind of felt about that motion. Cause I, I did, I did trust it. Um, but I think it's a really interesting move from the scenting of oneself to this just isn't working. Yeah. I have ideas. Go, go, go. Go. I, I, I see the smoke as a transition. Mm. Henderson filling the room, you smoking inside the house. That's a transition for me, as is what perfume is sort of allow me to project again, but perfume is uh, also a mask, a hope for, you know, I really smell like this, but I'm trying to smell like that. Hmm. I want to tell you to kiss me, but about, I'd be better off without you. But that, that's how I see it, Lina. That's better than my my reading was. Oh, I'm back on the market. That's <laughs> like, <laughs> 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 self attractive again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't. It wasn't a big leap. Like I saw that transition. Yeah. 
scent filling the air and the, and the smoking in the house. You know? I, 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 Kath, well, actually right between these readings, I just love the intimacies of the gestures, right? Like that opening gesture of dabbing wrist, neck and the gap between the breasts is so intimate. And then it, it zooms out into how the oud is created, right? And then zooms back into the sort of domestic intimate space that's fractured, right? And then even becomes with the questions like even deeper sort of emotional intensity, but inward directed, right? But which is the same as the perfume. It's this little like, you know, what do Catholics do? What's that called when you cross yourself? Like, is that, is oh, that I what thought it called? was genuflection, but it's not. Genuflection is when you kneel. I think it's just called crossing yourself, right? Just crossing yourself, right? Crossing yourself? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, there's a, it, it is that weird gesture. It's like, it's like with the oud, it's almost like a little blessing. You know um, what I mean? Yeah. And I, I love that list of right after the salve, right? My throat is dry from shouting. And, and then everything bothers me. You're smoking in the house. I left the stove on all night. We have this text we can't translate. You know what I mean? So again, it wasn't a huge, you know, uh, disruptive or shocking turn that she is disgruntled or the speaker is not happy. Right. Right. Everything's bugging me. Right. Like none of those things are really significant. Right. But, but they add up. Yeah. Yeah. I like I like this poem, but the second last stanza kind of sticks out as a sore thumb for me, just because it goes on a hair too long compared to the other stanzas, at least like the way I heard it. And it follows the text we cannot translate, and then it kind of explains the text a bit that to a degree I don't like. It's like saying we can't figure it out, but here's what the issue is. And it mm -hmm. kind of spells it out a bit too much for me. Like it, it just very plainly says, mm -hmm. I love you, but I hate you. And then it's that, yeah. Because I love all that's going on and the connections, the, the perfume and like the, the solve and the bark and the, the imagery is all there. And like, yeah. Wait, did, did you see a translation of the text in the poem? Well, I feel like, I don't know. I just feel like the text we cannot translate. I want you to kiss me, but all I can do is tell you I'd be better off without you. I feel like that's kind of explaining the feeling in a, in a poem where a lot of things yeah. are emotions or sense. Yeah. Like it just jumps out as an incongruity for me. Well, I, Alex, I just wanted to say that that seems like such an important thing for poets to consider too, right? Um, that you, you've got this image that's doing the work and then the impulse is to explain the image for the reader, right? I think I, that's what I hear you saying, right? Mm -hmm. But I think in this poem, I'm actually entranced by it because that's not necessarily how I would have read the text we cannot translate. So I kind of like that the text we cannot translate points in one direction and then gets qualified and clarified, but in a way that's sort of satisfying rather than reductive. And because I think that's the risk. Like when you explain your image in a poem, you prevent your reader from doing any work, right? So is it is it pleasure, is this quote explanation pleasurable? Sonically it is certainly, um, but it's also totally fucking heartbreaking. <laughs> I don't have too many thoughts on this one. Um, 
I mean, I, it, it's happening again of one of those things where I'm reading it and I'm like, this is really interesting. And there's a lot of different things that are sparking joy. Um, but um, I, I, I think I am kind of falling into like the, like the, the trap of looking at, we're talking about trees and bark and then we're talking about this relationship and I, I totally got where, where Kathy said like the smoke and obviously like stripping down a relationship and trying to find seeing symptoms, but like not knowing where the infection is and all this other stuff. But actually, as I'm like talking about this, I'm kind of explaining it to myself. So disregard everything I just said. <laughs> but yeah, now I'm, I just talked myself into liking this poem more. So <laughs> <laughs> that's why these conversations are so important. That, yeah, our editorial meetings as we do. You know, there there are editorial boards that don't get together and talk about the work and yeah. think about folks, how frequently we change yeah. our own minds <laughs> or our minds become changed from others just from speaking it out. Yeah. KVM also, like, I think Jason said a couple episodes ago, or somebody said it, like, you have to read a poem at least twice, like once just to, like, let the sound do what it's going to do to you right and then the second is like for the sense of the poem I swear pbq's model is like there's always the third reading and the third reading is this like yeah. conversation right and the third reading can make or break you know like it really that that I always feel sort of elevated and lucky to be in this conversation with you people around the work that we're lucky to get you know so so thank you submitters and, and I know neither of us are good at math, Mary, but this is yeah. actually the fourth reading most often, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Three readers before it gets brought to table. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. Math. 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 Well, yeah, and I, and I do, I think that's like, we're, we're talking two things there. It's like, as a reader, how do you experience poem? And then what's the PBQ mechanism? And the PBQ mechanism is layers, right? It's like two, three readers, and then it's brought to table. Like it's trust, trust us when we say we take your work seriously. Yeah. This is how. <laughs> right. Now that we're three and a half years in of doing this podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Is it? Um, I don't know. Time? It's been three and a half years. It's, it's, two and a, it's two and a half. I don't know. It might be a decade. I thought it was like five. I thought we've been doing this for like five years. <laughs> Could be. I, I know, I, I now think that anything that happened before the pandemic was five years ago. I'm with you. Interesting. I'm like, uh, anything, or, like, or 1999. Yeah. Everything else. <laughs> <1999. laughs> <laughs> 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 it's still in the 90s. So let's not wish it was 1999. Um, my brother, when he would host uh, Peter Brick Quarterly's slams, he would say, Welcome to the 4,782nd <laughs> slams. You just make up random numbers every time. Um, what I was going to say is, I think, you know, let's just acknowledge that the reason why we began this was seriously, truly, and almost solely to allow folks to see how much time we spend on every single poem. <laughs> it's artisanal. It's artisanal editorial work. <laughs> yeah. All right, but we should. We, we, we are should not Fordists. We are. We are not. We are not Fordists. No, efficiency no. is not our model. <laughs> efficiency. We we thumb our nose. 
a deficiency. <laughs> we have no idea how many. Oh, I sh- is the term man hours out? Like, can I still use the term man hours? Or is that like think, is that like yeah. a scientific term, or is that like person hours now? I should say people hours. Um, it just came out of my mouth, and I was like, wait, no. Uh, yeah, like like the the number of people hours or editor hours that we spend right. on each poem yeah. is not efficient, and right. it's an act of love. It is. We we. And I love that the phrase is we thumb our noses at efficiency, how <laughs> apropos for, for this. <laughs> All right, let's vote. He had to um, leave, but he left his vote. Uh, right. So I'll, I'll be Alex and use two hands. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, that, ready? One, choose me, vote. Wait, where's my camera? <laughs> You got it. it. It's so funny. They're disappearing. And it's in. Yay! Yay. Okay. So I, I want to, I'm sure there's things that we all need to say, but I want to say that um, the world is truly magic. And this is why we treat poems with love because we trust that, right? That there's yeah. just magic in this world. So um, when we reached out to this poet and asked for these pieces for the podcast, um, she wrote back as, as so many often do. Oh, so scary! But yes, yes, right. <laughs> and she, and um, also let us know that um, she had read oral history for a streamed reading for NYU Abu Dhabi. <laughs> what? Yeah, so had to write her and introduce Marion, you know, on the email and say, yeah. boom, Marion Wren happens to be the director of the writing program at NYU Abu Dhabi. Yeah. So now I think they're having like a date in Dubai. We are. As soon as I get back to Abu Dhabi, I'm setting up a date. I'm setting up a date with Rasha. We're going to get some coffee and compare notes about poetry. I'm so excited. Isn't that, so excited. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. And so now that we know that she's in Dubai, it kind of makes a lot of these poems blossom again, right? Now mm-hmm. we have an, another understanding of some of uh, the references here. Yeah. Um, and I kind of wanted to wait for that reveal. Because uh, you know what? We're doing so many editor inside tips on this episode. But, um, you know, as you read, as you listeners know, probably many of you are submitters. And... Um, some of uh, the editorial staff do like to read the cover letters and some do not. Yeah. And I am of the do not camp. Yeah. I really want the poem to just represent itself on the page. And so I would not have known any of those facts about her. Um, so that's why I didn't want you guys to know. So she's, but you know, some people adamantly believe they should read the cover letters. So yeah. it's everybody's choice. On our staff, we have a mixed bag, which is important too, I think. It's important that some of us have read it and some of us have not, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. indeed. Well, this was a wonderful episode. Thank you so much, as, as ever, having conversations around poems with you people makes my day. And yeah. we never even got to the sound of the lawnmower. We never, honest to God. You know what, you know what? We never even showed Marissa up. Marissa is like, here since we have our sound engineer. Just about a week ago, after all of this time of living on Zoom and teaching our classes this way and blah, 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 um, one of my, I was in a different space and there was this really loud room air conditioner where wow. I was. I apologized to my students at the get. And one of my students said, oh, no, no, no. Zoom has this wonderful ability 
to pick up only your voice on the mic. And we, and the kids were insistent they weren't hearing it at all. And it made me think, wow, that's true because I constantly have students apologizing for the same exact thing. There's a leaf blower, there's construction, there's sirens, you know, whatever. And you never hear it, even though they're apologizing. So Larissa, is that true? There is now an auto um, background noise suppressor, but, uh, and you can pick which level it goes, like low, medium, right. or high. Um, but it kind of depends on what what venue you're in. Like I was on a meeting where somebody was using that on the main speaker, but there were people in the room. So anytime somebody like over here in the back of the room spoke, you couldn't even hear the speaker if they were presenting. Uh, so if you have the high suppression on, it's not great for that. Um, well, what if somebody didn't do anything like me mm -hmm. and yet people were insisting they were not hearing this terrible ambient noise? Uh, is it automatic or do you have to turn something on? I think the default is automatic. Okay. Um, like mine is on, mine is on auto. Um, and, in, and in any case, if we were just in an office and you had it on high, that would be fine. But if you were like teaching in a class and there was some background chatter in the class, you wouldn't want high on because it's going to suppress all background noise. And then it kind of cuts out your audio too. So like there was even a moment where we were kind of chatting, you, you know, you all were chatting back and forth and, um, you know, Kathy, you cut out just a little bit. Uh, I can't hear any background noise, but I could hear, I can hear you speaking. Okay. So it's one of those things that you either leave it on auto or change it based on your venue. So listen, I have to say, I don't think we closed the show and I love that we ended with the Zoom tip. <laughs> <laughs> all those that, I was just going to say that we did not close the show. Slush, yeah. I hope you enjoyed this little <laughs> My time to shine. The offices of Drexel University. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, I think it is, it's been fine. So maybe there is some automatic thing. The Zoom gods are working in our favor. I, I was, I was going to try to make lawnmower noises. Yeah, seriously. Like the, hum of, the hum of a weed I thought rapper. you were going to ask I, I me couldn't. to download lawnmower noises to add to the show. Can, can oh, you? I, I might have been I mean, about to make that request. Somebody's lawnmower. <laughs> lawnmower today. Yeah. <laughs> So I if, I'll go, I'll go record one for the open. There you go. Thanks. <laughs> and we apologize in advance. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So if nobody has anything else to say, we just like to say slushies, let us know how you're doing and everyone keep on reading. Thank you. Thank you, Rasha. Thank you.